Well, good morning. How are we doing today? Good, good. You all are still hung over from Thanksgiving, aren't you? Yes, you are. Uh, if you're anything like me on Friday, like I just crashed after all the food that I ate on Thursday. So hopefully you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, my name is Corey. Welcome to Trace. We're glad that you guys are here with us today. Uh, the video that you just saw here on the screen uh, is one that I'm going to touch base on uh, a little bit later. Uh, this, this is a group called Hope and Home. As a matter of fact, if you're watching this online right now, you can go to hopeandhome.org and kind of watch the video that we just saw, their promo video. Uh, we're going to circle back around to that because that's going to be kind of the landing plane for us today. Uh, but I want to take you on a journey uh, uh, before we get to that specific destination. Uh, and the journey has to do with foster care and adoption. Uh, some of you guys know this already, but some of you all, this is like information for you. Uh, November in America is National Adoption Awareness Month. Uh, this is something that's been happening for, for the last several decades. Every year, uh, we designate a month, it's, it's November, to, to bring awareness to uh, an ever-increasing issue that we have in our nation. And, uh, and the issue is this, that uh, every year, hundreds and thousands of kids, um, they enter into the foster care system. And what that means is that they are for a time, or some of them forever, orphaned. Uh, and this is, a, this is a big issue, and this is what we're going to be talking about today. And so I wish I had a, a real fun, enlivening way to be able to talk about this. This is a hard subject today, and, and we're going to dive into it. Uh, as such, I'm going to give you some history, a little bit of theology. We're going to walk through some things that Jesus said, and we're going to talk specifically about what this means for us as, as like human beings, and some of us as, as followers of Jesus, but, but here's the deal. When you start talking about this particular subject, it can very easily get overwhelming when you start thinking about the global issue or even the national issue. And so what I want to do is I want to bring this down to our level, on a local level. Let's talk about Colorado and what this actually looks like for us so that we have some context to be able to kind of move from. So I'm going to share some statistics with you that come from uh, Colorado's DHS, uh, Department of Health Services, uh, from 2015. But these numbers uh, are actually representative of what you would see here in 2017 today. So let's take a look at a couple of these things. First of all, you see uh, almost 209,000 calls uh, to the abuse and neglect hotline uh, that happened in that year. Uh, of those, 11,462 uh, were confirmed cases of abuse and neglect to the kids in this community. All right, that's, that's a lot. Um, now, uh, from that particular group, there was 2012 uh, kids that actually entered into the foster care system, which means they were actually taken from their homes, and now they are a, a part of the, of the state of Colorado for a period of time, and some of them uh, forever, as we'll talk about. Uh, 280 of them actually had need to be adopted. What that means is that like rights to the parents have been severed. They, they are free and up, no strings attached. They need a home. They no longer have a place to call home. They no longer have a people to call parents. Now, uh, if, if truth be told, um, this is a problem. This is a situation. This is an issue uh, that is an age-old thing. I wish I could tell you that this was something that we're just dealing with here in the recent years. Uh, but, but the issue of orphan care is something that has been, been happening from the beginning of time because, because kids have always been um, neglected or abused or abandoned um, through death and, and other kind of things. Now, the reasons for, for kids becoming foster uh, kids or orphaned um, has changed throughout the time, but the need has always been there. And so we're going to take a little bit of a look kind of historically and, and theologically to see like, how this thing has progressed over time. So as you, as you see historically, there's basically two ways in which uh, the population would typically adjust to this issue of orphan care. 
Uh, one way is, is that the community would see these orphan kids um, as, as being uh, kind of a, an issue to their community living. Uh, and they would actually be, they would be dismissed or, or disregarded, in some cases even killed off because they would actually be taken away from the resources of the community. And so they were kind of looked on as, as a nuisance. Uh, and the second way that you'll see uh, these kids being viewed is, is that the community would actually take pity on, on these kids because of their unforeseen uh, and unfortunate circumstances. And they would actually see it as their right and responsibility to take them into the community. Now, that, that second way of thinking about kids actually requires a step. It requires a step of actually being able to give an intrinsic value to that kid and that life in a time where uh, oftentimes kids were not looked at uh, as other than like uh, they're par part of your possession and part of property. And, and so what you can see is like there's this clear historical thread where orphans actually start to gain a higher value in society. And, and what you see is in the writings of, of both the religions of, of Judaism and Islam, you see that they start to elevate this issue of the orphan and the cause of the orphan uh, to a very, very high extent. Now, that might have to do with the fact that both of these like, major world religions have key players in, in their history, Moses and Muhammad, that both come from adoptive families. But, but, but regardless of, of their, their meaning behind that, they started to, uh, to raise up the value of the orphan. And then you had prophets like Isaiah who would speak these words, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, and defend the cause of the orphans. Fight for the rights of the widows. They started to elevate the cause of the orphans. And so what was typically a, a family issue where a, a, the next to kin would kind of uh, you know, raise an orphan child now becomes a call to the entire religious community to take action. And so you start to see this foundation and actually orphans taking value in society and given homes. But, but then a guy named Jesus comes on the scene. And like Jesus typically does, he, like, he radically revolutionizes the way in which we perceive orphans. And he does that by challenging the way that we actually see ourselves and our, our relationship to God. You see, what Jesus does is he comes on the scene and he has this incredibly intimate relationship with God, so much so that he starts to refer to him as Father. Most often, that's how he communicates with God himself. He, he talks to him as Father, and then, then he turns to you and I and he says, oh, by the way, you have the ability to have the same kind of relationship that I do with God. You yourself can be a son and a daughter of God. In the recordings of, of, of John in the first chapter, as he's describing this interaction of Jesus with all of creation, he mentions this about him. He says, yet to all who did receive him, okay, this is speaking of Jesus, because there was a bunch of people who didn't actually receive Jesus, but for those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not born of natural descent or human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. You see, there's a clear distinction in Scripture, and sometimes we don't always get this, but there's a difference between being a creation of God and being a child of God. You see, all of us are creations of God, and, and, and all of us are made in His image, and therefore are given some kind of intrinsic value. But that does not necessarily make us a child of God. You see, a, a, being a child of God actually requires a decision. It requires a choice. And in this particular situation, it's a choice on both sides of the equation. First of all, God has to decide whether or not he wants us. And he tells us that he does. But, but secondly, we have to respond to that 
Just like any child who is being adopted into a family, they actually have to want and desire a family to be adopted to. We ourselves have to make a decision to want to believe in Jesus and receive what he has done. But when that happens, uh, Scripture tells us that so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. You see, Jesus... Jesus wanted to communicate to us a spiritual truth. And, and here it is. Uh, regardless of your, of your natural parental situation, each and every one of us are spiritual orphans. And, and we're, we're searching for significance in eternity. So what he does is he takes this concept of, of, of birth and of parent and of a desire, and he says, by the way, all of you guys are on equal playing field when it comes to this. You are all orphans, all spiritually, wandering around, trying to find a home, trying to find your place. But guess what? There's a God who loves you and wants you to be in his family. So God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Guys, it was this spiritual truth. It was this spiritual real, uh, realization that caused people who followed Jesus to, to radically shift their minds about the way in which they saw the issue of orphan care. Because for the first time in all of history, they themselves identified with the, the plight of the physical orphan. Because they themselves understand that they are orphans and God has adopted them into their family. And so now they look at these children differently than they did before. So much so that, that James, a follower of Jesus, uh, the brother of Jesus, were actually told, he makes this statement redefining religion. He says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress. He redefines it. He says, if you're going to follow after Jesus, if you're going to be like him, that means you can't neglect these people. You have to embrace these people. That's what, that's what true and pure and faultless religion looks like. And what was a family issue, or maybe even a communal issue, now becomes a church issue. And the church rallied around this cause of the orphans. And, and what they started to do is they, they started to collectively come together to try to figure this thing out. And, and they, they celebrated and they encouraged families who actually brought orphans into their homes. In addition to that, what they did was they, they saw this need. They saw these, these orphaned children, and then they saw these widows, and both of them had needs, and they said, you know what, let's partner these orphan kids with some of these widows and bring them into their home to be loved and cared for. And what we will do is we'll come around them collectively and financially and support them. It's an amazing thing. And then you, then you see the church step into these situations where the population uh, was, was a great need uh, for orphan care, and there was no care for them. And so they said, you know what, we've got to figure this thing out. And so they created these, these uh, things called orphanages, these institutions that would, that would bring kids together, give them a temporary place to stay while they were trying to find a, a permanent home to be able to put them in. And, and it, was, it was Christ followers like this guy named uh, Charles uh, Loring. I always forget his name, all right? Uh, his name is Charles Loring Brace in 1853. He, he created what we now know as one of the, the first foster care systems in the United States. It was called the Children's Aid Society. And he did it because he was a follower of Jesus and he saw a need. And he wanted 
to meet the need. You see, it was the people that had been adopted into the family of God that actually took the lead in helping these orphans that didn't have a home and didn't have a family be able to find a place to belong because they themselves had found a place to belong. And they understood the intrinsic value that God had placed on them and the opportunity for them to be children of God themselves. But somewhere along the way, as it often happens, uh, the church sponsored programs. These things that were initiated by the church gave way to government programs. And, and, and somewhere in this process, uh, the, the Christian, the follower of Jesus, abdicated their responsibility, their initiative in, in caring for the orphan. Somewhere along the way, we started thinking, well, uh, my tax dollars actually go to be able to support these government programs, and therefore I've done my job. I wash my hands of the situation. And, and that's where we find ourselves at today. And this is what you need to know. No matter how well-intentioned a government program is, no matter how well-structured it is, it will never replace the individual who takes an ownership and initiative because of what they've experienced through Jesus to be able to meet the need of somebody else. It will never happen. And so we find ourselves in a situation in Colorado and in the United States with kids that outnumber the homes that are willing to welcome them in. That's where we are today. But there's hope. And that's what we're going to spend the majority of our time talking today, is about hope. You see, the church, if nothing else, is the, it's the hope of the world. And, and the, 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 the church is actually the place that extends hope when, when life is hurting. And when everyone else runs away, the church runs towards. And when other people abdicate their responsibility, the church answers the call. And when other people offer excuses, the church opens the door. And they open their home. And they open their hearts. Now, I want to pause just for a minute. Um, because I, 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 I promise you, I, I processed through and tried to figure out different ways to be able to communicate this in a way that wasn't so heavy. But the issue of orphan care is a, it's a big deal. It's a heavy thing. But, but this is what I don't want to happen. I, I don't want you to walk away from here. I don't want you to sit in here and listen to this message uh, with a feeling of guilt or shame. Because our God is not a guilt God. He doesn't deal in guilt. That is not his deal. All right? He deals in conviction. And here's the difference between guilt and conviction. Guilt is something that weighs on you that does not motivate you. It just sits on you and makes you feel bad about yourself. Conviction causes you to be passionate about, maybe even angry about, the things that God himself cares about. And it moves you to action, and it moves you to response. And so I, I want this subject to bring conviction to all of us. As followers of Jesus or simply human beings because it's something that we should be addressing. Now with that being said, even if we do have conviction, if you're anything like me, you start to see the need, you start to see the numbers, then something starts weighing on you and it, and it becomes almost overwhelming to think about. And, and, and if, if you think that you're the savior of all orphan kind, you're not going to be able to, to deal with this particular situation because it's going to overwhelm you and it's going to keep you from actually moving. It's going to lead you to paralysis. And so let me speak to you today. Let me speak to you today. As a matter of fact, this is the one thing that I want to communicate. If you don't get anything else from our conversation today, here it is. Every kid is one caring adult away from being a success story. Every kid is one caring adult away from being a success story. It's not the multitudes that we need to think about. It's the one. There is power in one. Matter of fact, there's a guy named Andy Stanley. He says, 
do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And we might think that that's unfair, we might think that that's unkind, but the fact of the matter is, if you just do for one, it can make an internal difference. And if all of us did it, then it would make a difference that would be felt by the community. Now, this guy named Josh Shipp, who I stole that quote from, if you guys don't know who he is and those of you that are parents, you need to get to know this guy. He's, he's a leading voice, uh, a teacher, speaker, author. He does some, some podcasts talking about the issues that our, our, our millennial teenagers are experiencing these days and how we can actually understand them. And he's able to make a statement like what he made because he was a product of that situation. That was his story. You see, Josh himself was a, a part of the foster care system. And he was one of those kids who, who was constantly getting in trouble. And, and he was pushing away people before they had the opportunity to be able to turn him away. Do you guys know a kid like that? These kids don't have to be from the foster system in order for us to understand that. You see, kids want to know that they are loved and they're pursued regardless. But, but these foster kids have even greater degrees of that because they don't know their identity. They don't know their significance. And all they have ever been told is that you're not good enough for my home. Not long term. And it wasn't until he ran into a family and more specifically uh, an individual man who while he was pushing away so hard and trying to run away, this man took him and he sat him down and he said, no matter how far you run, I'm coming after you. No matter how far you push, I'm going to push back because I love you and I'm not going anywhere. It took that one caring adult to change the course of this particular guy's life and now he's spending the rest of his life trying to impact the lives of others. Guys, Orphan care is not going away. It's a rising issue. It's an age-old issue. But there is hope. And hope's name is your name. Hope's name is our name. It's Trace Church. Allow, allow me to share, you, uh, share with you something that uh, Dr. Steve G. said about the church. This is what he said. He said, if, if just one family from every three churches, okay, one family from every three churches, not every one church, if just one family from every three churches committed to adopt just one child, and those three churches committed to support that one family, then there wouldn't be children waiting to be adopted in the foster care system. Sure, there would still be temporary placements and other similar constructs, but the foster care system as we know it would be destroyed. It would be demolished. It would be blown up. You know why? Because the church actually stepped up to do what the church was called to do. They loved on the orphans and they opened up their hearts and they opened up their home. And it only took one family out of three churches to make that possible. We are the church and we have the opportunity to open hope and extend hope to a, a bunch of kids that don't know that it actually exists. And the, and the most often, the way that which that happens the very best is when we open up our homes. One of the coolest things about this particular gathering of believers, this church we call Trace, is that there are several of you that have already engaged in doing this. And this is to no credit of our own. You all have been engaged in this long before we ever came on the scene. But, but we, have, and we have at least seven families that I know of. And if I've missed any of you, please identify yourself after this. I'd love to know more about you. And I got to, I got to hear some of their stories of their, of their fostering and adopting. And, and each one of these families, you'll see some pictures of them here in just a moment. Uh, each one of these families has kind of arrived to this conclusion of orphan care from a different angle. 
Some of them fostered, and others of them adopted. Some of them uh, adopted uh, locally. Some of them adopted internationally. Some of them um, have had incredible hardships and a difficult time in the process. Some of them have waited uh, like years to be able to welcome a kid in their home. And once that kid got in their home, some of them have had incredible obstacles to overcome because of the things that these kids have endured in their past. Some of these, some of these guys would actually say they would do it again, even through all the difficulties. Uh, one of the families, I love it, they said, you know, changing the course of a child's life is kind of addicting. Like, you, you, you get sucked into this. I would do it again, no matter how much it cost me, no matter how much time it took, no matter the difficulty level of the kid, I would do it again. Because changing the course of a child's life is worth it. But you know one of the coolest things about each and every one of these kids that have entered into the family is each and every one of them have been exposed to the great love of Jesus. Each and every one of them. They have actually been given a physical demonstration of the good news. You see, God himself has made it available for us to be adopted into his family, and these kids have been given a picture of what that actually looks like. They can understand Jesus' words when he talks about that. They can understand a God who says, I adopted you. It, it was my pleasure. It made me happy. Because I want you. And each one of these kids have experienced this. And they've been given the opportunity to succeed in this life. Doesn't mean that all of them will take that opportunity. The things that they've experienced in the past has been hard and it's been damaging, but they at least have an opportunity to do so. Now, I wish, I wish I could sit and share the story of all of these families. You've seen their faces now. You know that they're a part of this gathering. And so, like, talk to them and ask them some of their stories. I love getting to read some of them and talk with them over the phone about some of these stories. But, but I would like to take time to talk to you about one particular family. So if you will, go ahead and welcome with me Daisha Willingham. Daisha, come on up on stage. Uh, now, uh, most of you guys know Daisha um, as being our kids director here at Trey. She's my partner in crime with the Next Generations. Love this gal, but she's not sitting up here today because she's our kids director. She's sitting up here because uh, her and her family made a decision uh, to enter into this issue of orphan care um, and to foster and adopt. So 30 seconds or less, uh, give us kind of the context, like how long you've been doing this, uh, how, you know, all the stuff later. Go for it. So uh, my husband John and I are licensed foster parents with Hope and Home, and we have fostered 13 kids total in the last four years. Um, every different kinds of stories, different kinds of time. Uh, one kid was just with us for a few days. Another kid was with us for over a year. He actually was with us for the kickoff of Trace and, and considers himself a tracer, even though he doesn't live with us anymore. We keep in touch with him. Um, and then one, one son needed uh, forever home, so Kalani. Um, was adopted two years ago, and, and he's 16 today. Um, if you guys haven't met Kalani, um, you'll, maybe you've been hugged by Kalani, probably. It's very <laughs> likely, actually, that you've been hugged by Kalani. So That's awesome. Uh, so how did you get started in this process? What made you say, you know what, we want to be that kind of family that opens up our home to these hurting kids? So John and I both felt the tug towards adoption, even from when we were dating. We talked about it before we got married, something we thought we'd probably do eventually. But really what pushed us towards it is meeting families and, and real kids, you know, putting faces with, with names and hearing their stories, especially kids who um, have come from really hard places and, and grown up and out of that. Um, just hearing their stories really pushed us towards checking it out. 
partnership. Now, you mentioned Hope and Home. I mentioned it earlier. They're a strategic partner for us, but what is Hope and Home? So Hope and Home is a child placement agency. They contract with the government to um, provide foster homes for kids. But Hope and Home goes above and beyond what the minimum requirements for the state are. Um, they are a Christian organization, and they consider foster care a mission, a chance to share Jesus' love with, with kids and their families in all kinds of different situations. And they have a lot of great programming to, to train foster parents to be really excellent at, at what we're doing. Okay, we'll talk to you a little bit more um, later about how you can partner and how we could partner with this particular organization. Uh, but fostering, adopting, taking in these kids is incredibly rewarding and incredibly challenging. What's been the hardest thing? So signing up to be a foster parent, you're really signing up to get your heart broken one way or another. These kids have a lot of pain. So what's hard is, is just living through that pain with them, uh, hearing their stories and, and seeing the pain that they're experiencing. But also sometimes they lash out out of that pain. And so um, sometimes you experience pain from them. So just going through the pain with them and, and from them sometimes is, can be very hard. Yeah, uh, it's not a convenient thing when you take in a, a foster or uh, adopt a kid. Uh, so what has been the, the most rewarding part of this? What's the best part? Uh, seeing the way kids grow uh, from a taste of Jesus and also just the stability and consistency of a home and parents. Um, like I said, we've had kids from, for all different kinds of time and, and are able to keep in touch with some of them. It's, it's good to see them go home when they can. But uh, for Kalani in particular, getting to, to live with us, uh, just a little bit about his story. He wouldn't mind me telling you guys. He was in the foster care system for seven years. We were his ninth placement. Uh, he had been through a lot before he came to us, and all those years can really do some damage, and it's going to take years to undo it. And so um, he, he's struggled with things in, in his identity, and one of the things he used to do a lot um, was run away, mentally, emotionally, and even physically. And um, just an example of all the way he's changed is, is he just doesn't even do that anymore. Instead of running away, he runs home. When, when things get hard, he runs to us, and, and that's just an example of the way he's grown from being a part of a family. Now, I've gotten to, uh, to know you guys for the last year and a half or so, and I can, I can definitely attest to that fact. Just watching, watching Kalani grow uh, in his social skills and his desire to be, to be loved, to open up, to share, uh, it's been so cool. Kalani is one of our students also in our student ministry, and so I uh, love getting to, to watch him do that. Now, uh, Kalani's not up here, but if he had something to share with these guys, what would he want to say? So I asked him that, and he just wants you guys to know that uh, foster kids want to be loved. And even though they act sometimes um, like they, they act out of what they've been through. And he just wants people to know that they, they need your love uh, no matter what, no matter what they do, no matter what happens. Yeah. And it's a wonderful example to him. Uh, now, again, Kalani is one of those kids. If you, you met him, he's an incredible dude. He loves this place because we love him. Uh, he's still on a journey with Jesus right now. He's still trying to figure things out. But this is a safe place for him to come. And it's all because these guys have been willing to open up their hearts and their home uh, to Kalani. Now, Daisha actually, um, she introduced me to a website. It's called Colorado Heart Gallery. And, um, and so I want you all to direct your attention to the screens because I want to introduce this to you if you don't know about it. And I want you to, to watch this and listen to these words. Oh, 
doesn't seem to be one for you. So one more night you cry yourself to sleep and drift off to a distant dream where love takes you in. the beat of a heart when love takes you is dreaming too They're counting down the days until They hold you close and say I love you Like the rain that falls into the sea In a moment what has been is lost In what will be when love takes you in everything changes a miracle starts with the beat of a heart and this love will never let you go there is nothing that this love to lose its hold when love takes you in everything changes a miracle starts with the beat Guys, it's in day uh, 
nebulous concept. These aren't imaginary people floating around as an issue or a problem. These are real kids. And these are the faces and the names and the stories of the kids that live in our community in Colorado, right here among us. And I don't know about you, but I have three little ones of my own. And just imagining a world where they don't know that they're loved and welcomed and breaks my heart. Some of you guys here today, maybe you just needed to be made aware of the issue itself. You need to process through and pray through and figure out, like, what can you do as a follower of Jesus? What can you do as a human being to, to step in and meet this need? For others of you, this is not the first time that you've heard this. This is not the first time that God has been pulling at the heartstrings of your heart. You're like, you like... This breaks your heart. And it's good that it does because it breaks God's heart. But you need to take a step. You, you need to figure out what it looks like for you. And, and we, we, are not, we are not the savior of all of God. We can't solve the problem. But, but you can't meet the need of one. And not every single one of us is is meant, designed, equipped, available to open up our homes right now. But every one of us needs to open up our hearts to this issue. Like this, this kills me. Right now, we're not in a situation where we can open up our home. But that's not an excuse for us not to do anything. One of the things that we say around here at Trace is that we want everyone investing in kids we want everyone investing in kids it doesn't matter if it's like your own kids or your grandkids or your neighborhood kids or maybe the kids that show up here on a sunday morning and trace kids uh, but but maybe just maybe it's it's foster kids and, and here's the deal like you don't have to do the same thing but but all of us should should be engaged in doing something and there are different ways to get involved, and there are different things that we're going to do. This is one of the reasons why we've chosen Hope and Home as a strategic partnership for us as a church, because we believe that they, they're a great partnership for us to be able to, to put you in touch with them so that there are opportunities for you to jump in and, and be a part of that. And so we as a church are going to be involved. Matter of fact, this Friday, we're throwing this big, huge Christmas party for uh, the foster families uh, within this organization. And so they're going to come here, and we're just going to love on them and let them know that they're welcome, and this is a place that they can always come to. Many of you guys are already signed up to be a part of that. In addition to that, we've got a Christmas tree out here with tags on there that you can grab a tag and, and get a gift and bring it back, and that's going to go to one of the foster families that are a part of Hope and Home. That is a way that you can get involved. Some of you guys need to sit down at the table and talk to John and Dacia and find out the different opportunities to support or to encourage or to contribute financially to what's going on. Maybe some of you guys need to take a step and figure out what would it take for us to actually open our home to either foster and or maybe adopt. I, I don't know what God is calling you to. I just know that every kid is one caring adult away from being a success story. Let us be that, that adult. Let us be that person. I'm going to pray, and uh, Dave's going to come up and lead us in a time of response. But as I do that, I, I'm going to ask Lauren, if you don't mind, just throw up the pictures of these families again as I pray over them. And I just want to pray over them individually here. But 
Father, we come to you and we thank you for the Costains and their international adoption. Father, we thank you for the Hamptons and Sarah, who is a part of our student ministry. We thank you for the Hills and their love and, and their desire to be able to help even in a special needs situation. And the Smiths and, and their adopted daughter, who's the same age as their other a child and the youngs who have a, a, a sweet, sweet boy who they want to be able to introduce to other, other kids that, into their home. And the Willinghams, which we've heard Kalani's story, and the birds. Father, we thank you for each of these families that have shown us what it looks like to open up their home. So I pray that we would know how to best partner with them to support them, encourage them, and celebrate them as a collective church. Because what they do is hard. The, the, the path that they have chosen is difficult. The kids that they bring into their family have incredible obstacles to overcome. But Father, they don't have to do it alone. I pray that they would know that. And for the rest of us, Lord, I pray that you would break our heart for what breaks yours. And that you'd give us a desire and, uh, and a pathway to figure out what we can do individually and collectively to be able to make a difference in this. Because, because 280 kids in Colorado is not overwhelming. That is something that we can actually make a difference in and you call the church to do that. Let us embrace the orphans among us just as you have embraced us. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning.